Amen. Hey, so here we are. Yeah, we're like um, two more weeks today and next Sunday in our series, Can God Bless America? Will God Bless America? And we've heard that the can part depends on our willingness to repent of our sin and therefore impact our nation. And will God depends on the sovereignty. And by the way, kind of cool, that was the United States Navy Band and Chorus uh, singing America the Beautiful. Quite cool. So today we want to talk about nodding off asleep at the will. And really, you know, we want to talk about falling asleep in church. But, you know, is the church, is the church asleep today in this modern culture that we have? There was a story told by a guy named John and John had this really bad habit of falling asleep while the preacher was preaching. And, uh, and so one day he did that again. And so the preacher was making an announcement. And uh, he, John didn't know it, of course. And so his wife reached over and poked him in the side, getting him to wake up. And he woke up and all he heard the pastor say was, please stand. And so he jumped to his feet and then he looked around and realized no one else was standing. He said, Amen, the pastor said. Is there anybody else who wants to make a $5,000 donation to the building fund today? And so, yeah, it can, be, it can be a dangerous thing to fall asleep in church. And I have to admit, I've not, you know, there's a story told about, you know, a pastor who dreamed he was preaching and woke up and found out he was. And, yeah, and so I've not ever, of course, done that. But I have gone to pastor's conferences. And, yeah, and I've kind of like, you know, doing this, you know. No, no, no. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, yeah. So we should not be sleeping in church, but the more important and more dangerous thing is, you know, is the church asleep? One of the most dangerous places to nod off is, of course, while you're driving. I did that when I was like 18 years old. I was driving back from Jacksonville to Valdosta about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, and I just fell asleep. And I woke up to the car going this, you know, bum, 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 bum. And I found myself driving down the shoulder of the road. Fortunately, the utility poles were about 20 feet that away, and I didn't hit anything. But man, it just startled me awake, and I was amazed. I actually fell asleep. And I think we would be amazed to find out how often and how asleep sometimes we, we, and sometimes the church is. So we want to talk about nodding off asleep at the will. Now, now one thing you know, that we hear over and over again in scriptures is the need to be awake. The need to be awake. It was Billy Sunday. Now, he's an old-time guy. You don't know the name, but it really is a guy named Billy Sunday. And he was an evangelist. And he said, when, he asked the question, when is revival needed? Well, first off, I fear because that's such an older term, we might need to explain really what revival is. You know, back in the good old days, uh, you know, we would have a fall revival and a spring revival. It's just like, you know, just like you have church, you know, you did Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, you did a fall revival and you did a spring revival. It's just what you did. And it really had nothing to do with the true definition of revival. It became a tradition um, that we did. And so I want you to know that revival is so much more than a date on a calendar. All right. In fact, a much better term today, and this is a term especially I want our younger people to remember, um, is spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening. It fits our, our message better, and it's truly what revival is. It's when the people of God awaken. See, here's the deal. Revival, even back in the good old days, we would think about revival, and we think about people being saved. And that happened, but it happened for a reason. The reason it happened was, as God's people had a spiritual awakening, then 
they went out and shared the gospel and people were saved. It's like a one-two step. Uh, you're familiar with the Ashbury Revival probably that occurred in uh, Wilburn, Kentucky. Um, I think it was the 8th of February to like the 24th of February, 16 days. It happened after chapel one day. Um, some kids hung around, students hung around, started you know, worshiping and praying and seeking God. And, and it just really was an amazing movement of God. And people were saved. And people were saved. And they were saved as students confessed their sin and got on fire for God and was compelled to go out the doors and to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It it caught national news. And here's what I'm going to tell you right now. When When the church has a spiritual awakening, it will make the news. When, when the church has a spiritual awakening, it will make the news. I promise you, and I'll guarantee you that. You know, um, in Genesis 4, 16, there's a great play on words that fits this so well, this, you know, nodding off asleep at the wheel. I had never seen this before until this message, this message, and nor thought about it. Well, we have Cain. You remember Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, and he's the one that killed Abel, all right? And so after, after he kills Abel, God kind of puts him on the road, you know, kind of cast him away. And so the Bible says, so Cain left the Lord's presence. Now, again, if you're taking notes, this, this sermon has a lot of play on words, okay, that I didn't do, that God did, okay? So mark that down. So Cain left the presence of the Lord. And a sure sign that we're falling asleep at the will, that we're nodding off, is when we leave the presence of the Lord, okay? So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod. Now, that's a cute play on words, okay? Already you see it. Nodding off, land of Nod. Nodding off, that, that, but that's not the best part. See, the word nod there um, in the, in the uh, Hebrew means literally to wander. Not W-O-N-D-E-R, but W-A-N-D-E-R, okay? And so, so Cain became a wanderer. You know, I'm the wanderer. I'm the wanderer. Never mind, never mind. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Okay, so anyway, yeah. So, so he becomes a wanderer, and look what happens. He didn't visit the land of Nod, the land of wandering. He settled there. He settled there. And so it's so easy for the church today, as we nod off spiritually, to settle in the land of Nod or to settle for and settle in the land of wandering. So here's our teaching point. Webster's defines the English word nod as a quick downward motion of, of the head as one falls off sleep. And, you know, this happened. I mean, you know, you about break your neck sometimes, okay? But watch this. Sleepy churches drift to sleep. You know, when I, I had a procedure recently, <laughs> I did two things, you know. Um, I had a procedure that required me to be put to sleep, and so I had the sleepy guy there, the anesthesiologist was there, you know. And so I told him, I said, I said, hey, did y'all know, did you know we both do the same thing? He said, oh, really? You know, we're in the operating room, you know. He goes, really? I said, yeah. He said, you put sleep, people to sleep, and so do I. You do it during the week, and I do it on Sunday. Same job, same job. But anyway, so I was determined, I was determined I was going to stay awake until I, and, you know, I, I would know when I went to sleep. That didn't work. He said, I'm going to put something in your IV, kind of flush the line out. Yeah, he flushed the line out, out flushed me right, right to sleep, okay? I, I did, I was intending to know when I fell asleep. I didn't. You probably do it every night. 
I mean, do you really know? Can you point? Yes, at 9.16, I fell asleep. No, you drift off. Well, this is what's happening to the church. Sleepy churches drift off to sleep. We're asleep and we don't even know it. We're asleep and we don't even know it. Moving away. Nod, nod. Living in the land of wandering, okay? Moving away from the presence of God, sometimes with intention. In other words, we're intentionally doing that. In our lives, we make a conscious decision to wander away. And other times by inaction. In other words, we just get set in the same thing, doing the same thing, doing the same thing, and doing the same thing. And the results are the same. We are spiritually asleep. We nod off to sleep. We nod off to sleep. So a, a, great, a great quote by a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. And by the way, I want you to know something. Look at me. I honestly believe these are dangerous times. I asked this question at the end of last service, and they were so generous. Several people said it was a good message. And I, thought, I ran to my office and tried to rewrite it. That's how bad I thought it was. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I asked him, I said, so how many of you are concerned about the America that your grandchildren are going to live in? Because, you know, a lot of us are senior adults in first service and, and true here. And, 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 you know, but whether it's the question, how many are concerned about your grandkids or your children? How many are concerned about the culture that your kids are going to grow up in? And the answer is probably a whole lot of us. So I think these are dangerous times. I think these are times, these are, I like the word grim. These are grim times. Um, right before, you know, uh, Hitler was at his height and Winston Churchill took over, they called it the darkest hour. The darkest hour. And by the way, after the darkest hour came the dawn. After the dark hour came the dawn. So at this grim hour, the world sleeps in darkness. And that's fully what they expect. You, when you go home at night, most of you will turn your lights out. And I know Judy and I like it really dark when we go to sleep. We turn the lights out. It's normal to sleep in the darkness. The world sleeps in the darkness. But here's the part that should not be. The church sleeps in the light. While we have the light, while we have the gospel, the glorious hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this light, and too often Christians and churches are sound asleep. Well, that leads us up to Mr. Jonah. Uh, we want to talk today about a reluctant prophet, a prophet who didn't want to be a prophet in this particular case. And you know the story, and we're only going to make it through six verses today, but I want to end with the idea of Mr. Jonah and how he handled the situation. And guess what? He was sound asleep. So here's how the verse starts out in verse number one and two. The word of the Lord, the word of God came to Jonah. Let me pause right there. You're going to see almost instantly how Jonah received the word of God and then decided he had the option to obey or disobey. Okay, look at me. That is not an option. If you are a Jesus follower and you have the word of God, whether you know, you know, the word of God speaks to you uh, through a message or however it is, the option is not there to obey or not to obey. Okay, he had this, he reached this point that, oh, the word Lord came, but I had the option to obey or disobey. So the word Lord came to Jonah, son of the Mittai, get up, get up. You know, God loves to tell people, get up, you know, Elijah, get up. Okay, get up and watch. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Now, this is a real problem for Jonah, okay? And maybe not for the reasons you expect. Okay, first off, maybe he was a shy preacher. Maybe he was a shy preacher. So the idea of preaching to a great city like Nineveh 
simply just, oh, I can't do that. You know, like Moses, Lord, you know I can't speak. That was not the case um, at all, okay? And it wasn't really the message, okay? You know, you know it's to preach against it. Um, you know, he did not, and I'll show you why in just a moment, he had no problem preaching against Nineveh, okay? So that wasn't the issue either. So, so what is it that made him so reluctant, okay, to preach in Nineveh, okay? Was it, I mean, you know, I'll go ahead and, you know, spoiler alert, you know, Nineveh was their enemy. You know, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and time after time after time after time after time, Assyria attacked Israelites, horrible damage, horrible carnage, okay? It wasn't even that he was going to preach to his enemy. Well, what's the problem then? Well, Nineveh was, in fact, a terrible city with a terrible culture. That part was true. Two, savage and inhumane, in the eyes of many, including Jonah, they deserve to die. Nothing could be better than Nineveh being destroyed by God. That'd make everybody, you know, in fact, Jonah certainly thought this was some kind of twisted patriotism. His disobedience to run away from God rather than go to Nineveh, he's probably saying, I'm being a good patriot because now they won't know about God's judgment and God will rain down fire and brimstone and destroy them. That's what needs to happen. And you know what? Too often in America, that's the case. Don't we wish sometimes God would fall a little fire and brimstone on some people, groups, parties? Don't we wish that? Well, that's certainly what Jonah had in mind. But here's the part. Here's the problem for Jonah. It wasn't that it was a big city. It wasn't that he was shy. It wasn't that it was the capital city of the enemy. You know, it wasn't that they had this track record. Here's the problem. He knew firsthand of God re- redemptive, God's redemptive nature. He wanted no part of it. The problem was he knew that if he went and preached to these people... There was a chance, there was a chance that they would repent and God would not punish them. He wanted no part of that. Listen, listen. He, he hated and was prejudiced. You see it there? Driven by prejudice and hate, he ran. He ran. The reluctant prophet ran not because it was the enemy's big city and not because he was afraid. He ran because he was afraid that God would redeem them. And I wonder, somehow, in our twisted thinking, you know, we don't want God to redeem certain sectors of our society. Or maybe, maybe someone's hurt you so deep, you, you want your pound of flesh. The last thing you want is for God to forgive them and heal them. You want your pound of flesh. Maybe as a husband who, who cheated. Maybe as a parent who abused. Maybe as a, a teacher who abused. You want the pound of flesh. And we are slow to pray sometimes for them because we are aware of God's redemptive nature. And honestly, we want no part of it. We want no part of it. So driven by this prejudice, driven by this hate, he ran. He ran as far and as fast as he could. Look at verse number 3, the first part. Jonah got up. He did get up. Did you notice that? He, partial obedience here. He did get up and he went to flee to Tarshish 
from the Lord's presence. Now, you're going to see at least twice these words Tarshish and from the Lord's presence. Okay, what is Tarshish? Okay, for Jonah, now listen carefully. For Jonah, it was as far away from God as he could get. Literally, I'm not making this up. I'm not, that's not preacher illustration. Literally, when he goes down to, jo- to Joppa, gets on this boat to go to Tarshish, he knew the furthest place from God was Tarshish, and that's where he went. Now, here's the crazy part. And you're saying, you're saying like, you know, I've said this before. You know, okay, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that that part of the sermon doesn't apply to me. Because guess where I'm sitting? I'm sitting in church. Well, guess what? Tarshish can be as close as your nearest church pew or seat. Tarshish, your Tarshish can be, in other words, what I'm trying to say is you can be totally backslidden, wandering from the presence of God and sit smack dab in church service after church service after church service. I'll never forget, I told you this before, that they say the easiest place to backslide is seminary. You're surrounded by all this teaching, all this knowledge and all of that, and people are so busy learning all that, they don't see your life. They don't see what's going on. See, Tarshish is not a place on the map. It's a place in your heart. Tarshish is not a place on the map. So I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you, listen, don't write this message off too fast. Because you could be here week in and week out and be in Tarshish. And whenever you're in Tarshish, you are from the Lord's presence. And you know that. You know that. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, to be away from the Lord's presence, okay? So, so Jonah became a man on the run, okay? A fugitive from the God he served. I really need to change that. The, the, the God he should have been serving, okay? Because he wasn't serving, he was running. He forgot one detail, though. He couldn't run. He could run, but he could not hide. Now, I want you to understand this nature of God, this, this aspect of God. God is, is so many things, omnipresent, all of that things, but he's everywhere. And no matter, if you're saying, hey, no, Dwayne, my wife doesn't know, you, know, you don't know, my kids don't know, but I'm a far distance from God. Well, there's one person who does know, and that is God himself. You, you can run, but you cannot hide. And by the way, I'm grateful for that. You know, I love Psalm 139, 7 and 8. Um, it's a great scripture, and I've always preached this as a real affirmation. But today, I realized that, whoa, 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 that's not the context of this scripture. The psalmist is writing, and he's writing like a, with a Jonah spirit. He's writing with the spirit of, I'm away from God. He, he's writing where the context is, I'm trying to get away from God. You ever been there before? Have there been a time in your life when you're trying to get away from God? Hey, students, has there been a time in your life when you tried to get away from God? It wasn't a popular thing to do anymore. It was more difficult than it was worth. Have you, have you reached that point? Well, this is the way this is written. So the psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit? Um, where shall I flee from your presence? I'm trying to get away from you, God, and no matter how hard I try, I run into your spirit. I'm trying to get away from you, God, and wherever I go, your presence is there. And then he goes on and says, you know what, in verse number 8, you know, if I ascend to heaven, if I, if I could go as high as the farthest galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy, God, no matter where I go in heaven, you're there. You're there. It's almost a sense of frustration. 
Okay, God, so if I could fly up to the highest galaxy, guess what? Yep, you would be there. And then he says this, if I make my bed in Sheol, or if I make my place in the place of the dead, okay, well, guess what? You're there too. He goes on in verse number 11 and 12 and says this, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Ah, no one can see in the darkness. So I'll just, I'll, I'll find a dark place and choose to live there. Ever lived in a dark place before? Surely the night will cover me. Verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Whew. You want to run from God, you find the darkest place in your, you can find. Well, guess what? Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Okay, what's the big picture? What's the big truth? We can't run from God. Oh, you can run, but you can't hide. You can't. Now, now that's, listen, listen. Let's throw up that, Nancy, let's go and get that piece there. You know, in, in days of distress and disaster, you know, there are word, these are words of great comfort. That's why I've always preached it. I am so glad that, that, God, if I find myself way over here, you're there. If I find you way over here, you're there. Hey, God, wherever I find myself, you're there. What great words of comfort that is. But when you're running from God, when the last, when the last person you want to see is God, when the last person you want to hear from is God, these words are anything but. And personally... Even if I found myself in that situation, I would be grateful. I would be grateful that my God is so big and so powerful that I can't get away from Him. Amen? I can't get away from Him. So we leave the last part of verse number 3. So Jonah went down to Joppa. Now, let's pause. Well, let's read the verse and then we'll come back. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the, this is, these word plays are great. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Where? From the Lord's presence. Okay. First off, Joppa is the launching point. Now, again, a port, a launching point can be for good. Port can be good or bad. Okay. For many people who showed up at Joppa, it was just another boat ride on a Sunday afternoon. They were cruising to go see Grandma two ports over. But for the man of God on the run from God, Joppa became a launching place for sin. For sin, for trying to get away from God. It's the place where it all starts. Okay? How do you, how do you find yourself wanting to get away from God? Well, I think it starts with simple things. Like, you used to read the Bible and now you don't. You used to want to pray, and now not only do you want to pray, you don't pray. You used to find yourself in church every Sunday, and now you find excuses to not go any Sunday. That's Joppa. Have you, one, have you visited Joppa before? And two, are you at Joppa right now? Are you at that point today you're going, oh no, I'm realized right now I'm at the wrong place. I'm at Joppa, and I'm fixing to take a leap into the darkness. Maybe. 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 He went to Joppa, and his intention was to launch a trip to get away from God. Hopefully you're not there. Beware if you are. Beware if you are. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to 
Tarshish, remember? Tarshish is as far as he could get away from God. So his intention was intentional. His intention was intentional. I want a ticket, please. Yes, sir, would you like to go? I want to go as far as I can get away from God. Keep it in mind, you can sit in church every week and still be in Tarshish. Okay, keep in mind. Okay, he paid the fare. <laughs> there's always a fare to pay. Hey, sir, before you cheat on your wife, there's a fare to pay. Hey, students, before you do something on Friday night in the backseat of a car somewhere, there's a fare to pay. Hey, before you take the first, first pill or the first shot in your arm, there's a fare to pay. You know, there's always, sin always has a fare. Not a fare, a fare. Okay, so he paid the fare, and then he went where? Down. Yeah, do you notice that? Isn't that cool how God does the play on words? He went down to Joppa, went down in the boat. You know, sin always takes you down. Sin always takes you down. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Where? From the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. He was a man on the run. You know, in my head... I was listening to the countdown of the 70s the other day, and they had Paul McCartney wings on there. You know, band on the run. All I can hear in my head is, man on the run. Yeah, he's a man on the run. Boy, that should have worked better than that. I don't, I don't know. All right? So, so he went down from the presence of the Lord. And here's what you need to know. You've got to believe this. Some of y'all like Southern gospel music. And you remember a song, I think the cathedral sang it. Actually, probably several cathedral uh, groups sang it. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Just write it down. That's probably the best thing you're going to hear all day. Mark it down. No matter what Satan lie, no matter what lie Satan tells you, sin will take you further than you want to go. And it will slowly and wholly take control. Whether it's porn, whether it's drugs, alcohol, lust, Whatever it is, it will slowly take control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. I just want to bet. Remember, Cain? Cain settled in the land of wandering. You know, it will take you longer than you want to stay. It'll, it'll make you unpack your suitcase and stay a while. Okay? Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. The price for disobedience to God is more than you can imagine. And more than you could think. All right, so we get down then to verse number four. So the Lord threw, I like the word, I think one of the translations has the word hurled. The Lord threw or hurled a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. Now this is powerful. See, we... We wrestle with why would a good God send such a powerful deterrent, a great storm, into these people's lives? And by the way, do you see something automatically? Did the storm just impact Jonah? Uh, no, it impacted everyone. See, we think sometimes our sin only impacts us. If I want to do this, it's my business, because after all, I'm a free person, I can do what I want. Your sin doesn't just impact you. Your sin impacts those around you, the world that you call the world around you. So the Lord threw this great storm, but it wasn't punishment. It was redemption. It was an attention getter. It was to get Jonah's attention, and unfortunately, the ones on the ship got thrown into the pot. 
Okay? And the storm was so great that it threatened to break the ship apart. God will go to great extremes to bring you home. I'm going to pause there. God loves you. Enough to go to great extremes to bring you home. Hey, students, man, you've got to remember that. You know, five years from now, four years from now, you know, you're going to go to college, and college is a great place, but you may run into an environment that you're not used to, and you'll find yourself being pulled away from God, and you're going to have to make some hard, hard decisions, okay? And you have to make that commitment to stay with Christ no matter what. And again, know this, God will never let you go. Don't you? Amen? God will never let you go. He never goes. T- I was walking the other day, you know, and I was just saying, God, I'm so glad. You know that scripture I love so much, Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in my path. And even if I stumble and fall, I will not be utterly cast down because you uphold me with your strong hand. And I always pray it this way. I say, God, I'm glad I'll never be like a bag of garbage that you just kicked to the curb. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad no matter what you do, God's not going to kick you to the curb like a bag of garbage. But he will bring circumstances. See, God spoke with words. Hey, Jonah, get up. Go to Nineveh, that great city. I've seen their sin. You know, don't you go preach. Now he speaks through circumstances. Sometimes God moves from words to circumstances. Okay? But regardless... It's all, it's all redemption. Uh, I, I wrote this little ditty about uncommon. It is not uncommon, it's not uncommon for our uncommon God to send uncommon storms to will, deal with our uncommon sin for the purpose of his uncommon redemption. How powerful is that? How true, how true is that? Well, verse number five, the first part, the sailors were afraid. Now, I'll tell you this. When you're in a boat and the sailors are afraid, you're in deep weeds. Okay? You're in deep weeds. Okay? So the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. This is Phoenician society, and there's multiple, multiple gods, kind of like America. Okay? And each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea, the light, and the low. Okay? Now, now get this picture, okay? All right, go ahead and throw that teaching point up. We're going to hit that one, Nancy. Okay? While their lives... We're in the balance, and their world was flying apart. While their lives were in the balance, and their world was falling apart, the man of God, on the run from God, is sound asleep. At a time when, when the great message, there is one God, his name is Jehovah, he is the maker of storms, and he is the stiller of storms. The man of God, on the run from God, is sound asleep in the hold. Church, don't let that be said of us. Now is not the time for the church to be snoozing. It's time for the church to be moving. We need to be about the Father, the Father's business. Well, in the next part of the verse, in verse number 5b, meanwhile, meanwhile, it tells us where he was. Jonah had gone down. There it is. He went down again, down to the lowest part of the vessel. See, he was smart. You know why he went to the lowest part? Have you ever been on a cruise? The higher the deck, the more the sway. So he knew where the best sleeping place was. 
It wasn't because it was down in the ship. There wasn't as much movement, so he could sleep well. He went to the lowest part of the vessel and had... These words are great. He stretched out and had fallen into a deep sleep. How amazing is that? The man of God on the run of God is sound asleep. And then verse number 6. The captain approached him. Hey, where's that, where's that dude we let on at Joppa? Where's he at? He knew his crew, knew probably most of the passengers. Where's this guy at? So the captain found him and approached him and asked this question. What are you doing sound asleep? What are you doing sound asleep? I'm praying that the culture will ask us that one day. You know, I love reading stories of Africa. And Judy, I, I thought about the story you told me one time, not too long ago, about a village who, who waited and waited to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, someone came. And uh, the vast majority of the village was saved when they heard the good news. And then someone asked the question, what took you so long? What took you so long? Culture is out there. Now listen, they may not now, they may not now, they may not now, but one day they might well wake up and ask the church, where were you? When we needed good news, where were you? When we needed a Savior, where were you? And we don't want to reply, we were in our churches doing church. The greatest mission of the church is not here. It is right out those doors. It is right out those doors. What are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Called, isn't it strange that the pagan had to call the prophet to prayer? The pagan had to call the prophet to prayer. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe he will consider us and we won't perish. The pagan captain seemed to know that the one hope was creator God. And that this guy, even in his sinful state, knew that God. Knew that God. I don't know when. But I love what somebody said one time. When the culture finally realizes that what they're doing is going to work, they're going to look for answers. And some of them will walk through that door looking for the answers. And we better be ready. And don't we dare shell them, sell them our stinking religion. Let them show you, show them our marvelous, redemptive Savior. Not rule-keeping, but glorious redemption given for any man, woman, and child who will ask. Well, Dwayne, is it really that urgent? Is it really that urgent? Well, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. This, he said, now keep in mind, this was 2,000 years ago. This is all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Do you know how late it is? You know how late it is? You know, there will come a tipping point, And it might be that it will be too late for redemption of our culture. It's not there yet. It could be. It could be. Do you know how late it is? Time is running out. The time for the church be the church is now. Can I say it again? The time for the church to be the church is now. Wake up. Quit nodding. Quit falling asleep, church. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And in verse number 12, you know, he says this, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. And I'm telling you what, may I be honest? 
We Baptists are really good at pointing out moral sin. And we should, and we should, and we should. But what is killing the witness of the church is relational. They look at our churches and they see us eating one another like piranhas. We hear the bitterness and the anger and the unforgiveness and all of that stinking mess. They see all of that and they don't want what we're selling. Oh, great that we know moral sin. We should know moral sin. But what? What did Jesus say? I said last week. John chapter 13, 34 and 35. You know, I give you a new command. What is that, Jesus? Love one another. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, you need to know this. The world will know you're my disciples by this fact that you love one another. Love one another. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothing, and put on the shining armor of right living. Be Jesus. I think I mentioned last week about the fact that we should be, you know, 300 little Jesuses running around Harrisburg and southern Illinois and Galatia and, and El Dorado and, and Marion, wherever it might be. We should be 300 little Jesus going out of here today, sharing the love and the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And come back next week and get charged up and do it all over again. Do it all over again. So can I ask you a question? Where do you live? Have you somehow wandered into the land of Nod? Have you settled down in a land of wandering? Or perhaps you've gotten on a boat and you've slowly sailed away from Joppa, your launching point, and all of a sudden you find yourself in Tarshish. Your wife don't know it. You don't, you know, your children don't know it. Preacher don't know it. Your Sunday school teacher don't know it. But you've drifted away from the presence of God. Maybe it's time to come home. Maybe today is the day. You know, Billy Sunday said, you know, when is it time for revival? And he went on and said, you know, hey, it's when we're, you know, we're careless. Our carelessness and our unconcern has lulled us to sleep. Maybe it's time to come home. I want to invite you to come today and the altar's open. Folks, I'm telling you, I'm not, and I don't think y'all, from what I've heard in the comments about the sermons, you don't feel this way, but this isn't a, let's take five weeks and beat up on the church. This is five weeks of challenging us to rise to the occasion, to be what God's called us to be, so we can be what God's called us to be out there, to tell our culture that God loves them. That God loves him. Would you bow your heads there, please? Man, thank you so much for listening and for your patience today. Ask yourself those questions. I'm, am I at, I'm at Joppa? And when I get on the boat, am I running from God or running to God? Am I running from God or running to God? Am I willing to be obedient no matter what that looks like? Is there some prejudice, pride, or hatred in my heart that's keeping me from being like Jesus? Is there a person or a group that I'm prejudiced or filled with hate for? God, I thank you that you spoke today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts now in this time of decision. Father, as you feel... As you pull people to you, have them, Father, pray there, pray at the altar. If there's a decision that needs to be made, give them courage to make that decision. Father, help us, help us not to flee, but to run to you.
And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen.